everybody. This is the Prepared Mindset Podcast, and I am your host. I'm Austin. Got another episode coming at you guys this week. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you know, it's coming out of Fourth of July weekend. God bless America, right? Happy Independence Day and all that. Hope everybody had the opportunity to enjoy the weekend for what it it for what it is. It should be a time to uh, reflect on our great great country uh, and you know honor the memory of of a lot of uh, fallen heroes and 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 really be and celebrate patriotism. You know, uh, unfortunately. Uh, the world doesn't stop spinning, and we had another uh, active shooter scenario at a parade in Highland Park, Illinois. Uh, not going to speak too much more to it other than just to say that uh, it's extremely unfortunate that we continue to have these issues, and even more unfortunate that our leadership and media continue to look at firearms as the issue and the only issue in trying to resolve these kinds of problems. Um but on a lighter note, this week, I have a really cool guest joining me, Devin Soto, who is the owner of the Tactical Cowboy, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Tactical Cowboy Training Solutions. Uh, and Devin's an awesome guy. We had a really, really great conversation. We actually had some stuff planned to talk about that we didn't even get to because uh, we kind of just ran out of time. Uh, so Devin's going to be back on joining me. Uh, like I said, it was a fantastic discussion. Uh, Devin's a, a former ranger. He's done some contracting work. Uh, he's got a, a whole lot of knowledge and life experience, uh, you know, even outside the tactical realm and things like uh, kinesthesiology, which is extremely beneficial um, as people get older and your body starts to break down, being able to keep your body functioning properly, uh, which can in turn make you more effective as an individual for a longer amount of time. Um, we didn't really even get to get into that. But I was uh, really happy to have him on. Got connected by our, our mutual friend, uh, Chris Blau, over at 1911 Syndicate. So shout out to Chris and Jake. And if you guys don't check out 1911 Syndicate on YouTube, you totally should. Um, but we had an awesome, awesome conversation. We're going to get over that into, uh, in just a minute here. But, you know, like we do here, I have to say thank you. We have a sponsor. This is a sponsored podcast. And I want, I don't have to, but I want to say thank you to them. And that's EclipseHolsters.com. Jess and her team do outstanding work. They're a fantastic company for a whole bunch of reasons. First on that list for you guys is our discount code that they hooked us up with. And that's prepared mindset, all one word to save you guys 20% off their website, uh, eclipseholsters.com. 20% off your order. Again, code prepared mindset, all one word. Guys, they do holsters. They do mag pouches. They do dump trays. They have different kinds of wallets. They have, you know, me and actually on this interview, Devin and I get to talking about belts a little bit. They carry core concealment belts. Having a serviceable, good belt is foundational to carrying a firearm successfully and comfortably. Um, and if you think that there's not a level of success to, to carrying uh, a concealed weapon, you should go try it. Go go try buying a shitty belt and uh, see how that goes for you. Same thing with a crappy holster. Don't carry with that crappy leather holster, that worn-out leather holster that's going to collapse in on itself and give you, you know, an ND and you're going to shoot yourself through the junk and or leg or, you know, the meat of your ass, whatever. Head over to EclipseHolsters.com. Get yourself a quality Kydex holster. You can get it in whatever color you want. You got a specialty print you like. You can get it in a specialty print. You can, if you have something that you specifically want done and it's a gift, maybe it's something that's just important to you, 
reach out to Jess and her team. They'll get you squared away. And on top of that, on top of quality holsters, they're going to make sure that it's in the mail on its way to you in three business days or less. Carrying a firearm is a big choice. It's a responsibility. You don't, you shouldn't be waiting three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, you know, three months to get your holster so that you can start carrying and you can carry confidently. Let Eclipse take care of you. If you don't see what you need on the site, reach out, ask them. They might be able to take care of you. Or at the very least, they have enough partners in the industry. They have enough reputable friends in the industry. They'll be able to send you over to somebody who's going to get you taken care of. They're a top-notch family-run company. Can't say enough nice things about them. We had Jess on just a couple weeks ago and got to talk to her about how Eclipse got started and all the great, great things they do and how they're helping grow the culture. Uh, we're super, super proud to be partners with them. Again, just one more time, EclipseHolsters.com, our code, prepared mindset, all one word. We'll save you 20% off your order, whether it's just a mag pouch or a holster. But FYI, spend over 100 bucks, you get upgraded to free two-day FedEx shipping, which is awesome as we're starting to see you know, more uh, more carriers come out and say that they won't ship gun parts. We don't know how long some of this stuff will last. Uh, take advantage of the premium shipping while you can. Get yourself a good holster, get it to yourself ASAP, and support one hell of a company in the process. But all right, enough of that. Now we're going to jump on over. We're going to get to my conversation again with Devin Soto. He is the owner of Tactical Cowboy Training Solutions. Hope you guys enjoy it. Check it out. Devin, how's it going, man? Good. How are you, my friend? Ooh, I'm I'm hanging in there. You know, these, these days <laughs> after... Um, after holidays right especially fourth of july the big barbecue holidays and stuff you know oh um, yeah it's always a rough day i was like online working an extra hour it's always i mean and you didn't have anything you know big going on or anything today either right <laughs> no just moving into my new house for the first time so that was yeah. exciting <laughs> so yeah no no big deal there nothing uh involved stressful or uh emotionally taxing anything like that right right but happy to be on here anyways it's gonna be fun dude absolutely man uh i'm excited uh, I have to make sure I don't say that. I have a tendency to slip into saying the word excited um, <laughs> a lot. So I'm going to, that's, that's one. Uh, I'm going to hold My myself thing to is, it. I'll say, you know what I mean? I'll say that about 20 times, I bet. Yep. Everyone's got that, that, that <laughs> like, it's not a tick, but it's like a, I, I, I have no idea. Everyone's got, we got one though. And then, uh, yeah, you'll catch yourself doing it over and over again. Um, so, Hey, you know, before we jump too far into things, right. Uh, Go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners. Maybe talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing with Tactical Cowboy and uh, how you got here and all that. Yes, sir. So to everyone listening, my name is Devin Soto, owner and operator of Tactical Cowboy Training Solutions. We are a training company here in Utah. We do everything from super basic pistol rifle stuff, even for children, all the way up to this next coming weekend, we have a two-day CQB course that we've got civilians, military, law enforcement guys going into, as well as two weekends ago. So we've been really busy lately, as you can tell. We had like a multi-day, super cool tactical retreat, is what we called it. So we had a group of guys hmm. up in the mountains doing, like we were just talking about land nav, squad movement, all sorts of fun stuff. So yeah, man, we're out here in Utah crushing it. That's so where you went just two days uh, off the grid, just roughing it, survival oh, skills yeah. only. Well, so it was uh, one of our buddies that we work with, Spring Hill, Spring Creek Machine. 
He's a really mm-hmm. badass machinist guy that I work with. I send all my rifles to him. Gavin, super awesome guy. If you guys are in Utah, need some machine work done to your rifles. Uh, he owns the property. So it's about, if anybody's in Utah, they would know it's Spanish Fort Canyon. And yeah, it's way out there, no cell service. And we had our guys out there and yeah, they had a good time. Learned a lot of good stuff. Dude, that sounds that sounds awesome. And like two things immediately come to mind for me is one, we don't have that here in Michigan. We really don't. I mean, <laughs> there there might be a there might be like in northern Michigan the opportunity for it. Um, and I think I, I just I feel like I mentioned this on my last episode or something. We take all of the good land here and we turn it into damn golf courses. Like we have. <laughs> For, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's a statistic. Like, top, if we're not the top, we're probably top three in the country for golf courses uh, oh. here in Michigan. Like, and we have some beautiful, beautiful courses. People rave about it, but it just it sucks because then there's nothing else you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not uh, outdoor gun ranges. There's not places where you can go and shoot or do a lot of this stuff. And um, it's, I mean, once you get to the upper half of the state whatever, then it gets a little bit easier, but, um, the lower half, like where I'm located and everything to even find a piece of land where I can just, you know, it's state oh God, land where I can yeah. just shoot, you know? Um, so do you guys have I'm BLM land? Power. What's that? You guys have BLM land out there or no? Mm-mm. I don't think so. Anyway, all state run. I see. I see. Yeah. Um, and I've even reached out because I did go, uh, up, you know, Northern Michigan, um, with a buddy last year and was thinking like, okay, well maybe, you know, we're going to go up. We're going to do, this was like, uh, April or May last year. And it was specifically to do some land nav work. It was, uh, myself, my buddy, Sam, uh, who was, uh, spent six years as a tact P down at Benning, helped me awesome. start this podcast. And then my buddy, Ryan, who's, uh, a hunter, not real big on tactical shooting, but, but been going up there his whole life. It's his family's property and wanted to learn more at one point, even entertain the idea of like having Sam run a class for some of the, uh, the members at this, this ranch. Right. <clears throat> so like, well, Hey, let's see if we can carry rifles while we're out there. You know, like it's, it's a, it's private ranch land. So law enforcement doesn't come on unless they're, they're called for something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the last time I was up there, Ryan was walking around with a shotgun. Cause it was, uh, I think it was, some kind of bird season or some shit. I don't know. And I reached out to the department of natural resources and I was basically told, Nope. Cause if uh, someone stops you, uh, you have over five rounds in the rifle that violates, you know, some kind of hunting rule. I'm like, Oh my God. Are you serious right now? And then I, I was like, okay, wait, we're on private land. Maybe I could just do this and no one will know. And kind of got the, the kibosh put on that one too, just because people are apparently weird about, you know, if they were to see us walking around, I'm like, Dude, so I grew up actually in Illinois. Okay, so not too far, uh, yeah, exactly. seven-ish hours from here. Yeah, so I grew up about in a small town called Mendota, two and a half hours southwest of Chicago. Mendota? Yeah, I'm gonna, really uh, I am going to write that down because my wife is from Illinois, and she, oh. uh, she every time people ask, oh, where'd you grow up in Illinois? Oh, it's the Quad sit by the Quad Cities. And I okay. look at her and I go, nobody knows what that is. Stop <laughs> saying. It's like, people know, people know. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I think uh, Moline is the only one I remember. Um, yep. <laughs> and, you know, obviously there's three more. I only remember Moline. This is this is a weird segue we're getting into. But if All you've right. ever seen the movie yeah. uh, Digstown with uh, James Woods and Louis Gossett Jr. and Oliver Platt, it's a, 
like early nineties boxing movie and they, something happened. They don't tell you what they, you know, they say Moline like a couple different times in there. And I'm like, that's a really <laughs> weird name for a city. Um, but then you know, obviously yeah. meet my wife and hear it from her. I'm like, okay, so it does exist, you know? Oh, it exists but, for sure. Um, but yeah, so in Illinois, so like, yeah, I lived there till I was 19. Then went in the military, all that stuff. I'm sure we'll get in all that. Yeah. But of course in the military, I had no, but, or I guess you could say growing up, I didn't have any experience with shooting firearms really at all. Really? My family was anti-gun or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just, we were just not that into it, I guess. So then when the military, obviously I got to do a lot of fun stuff. I was at Psych Ranger Battalion. So you get to a point where you're fairly relaxed, you know, you're carrying around guns on base all over the place, whatever mm-hmm. you want to do, you know, to some extent. And then got out um, college, then went to Colorado. Now I'm here in Utah and here in Utah, it's, you're good to go. Like we just moved into my new house. So I was just carrying all my guns from the last place I was in into my truck, just no big deal, no cases or anything. Everybody's super chill about it here. Oh, there's no way I'd get away with that. <laughs> I honestly, I was telling uh, one of my friends at a barbecue this weekend. I honestly don't know that my neighbors don't watch out for that kind of stuff here. Like, and they're all pretty cool people. They, <clears throat> they are, but I, I feel like I'm being watched just like carrying a rifle case from my front door, the, you know, 15 feet out to my Jeep or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> And a lot of them are very vocal politically. You know, the lady across the street just put up a sign that says, it's like Trump, 20 to 24 years in prison. I'm like, yeah, great. I got to stare at that shit for the next, oh, yeah, yeah, however many months. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I do worry about it just because it's such a hot button issue and stuff. But especially now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, with the, you know, gun control uh, bill that got signed into law and red flag everything. And uh, I, I, yeah. So I do, I do I try to keep it a little bit uh, under the radar and uh, and not talk about it with them uh, or anything like that. So I'm definitely jealous. I, I could never get away with that here. I wish I could. Yeah, I don't even man. like walking, uh, carrying my rifle across like a, like an open window in the house, you know, just yeah. walking from one side to the next. Somebody <laughs> sees me, you know, what if? Yeah, it's crazy because I, I was going to say when I went, it was a year ago or so, I went and visited home in Illinois and I brought a bunch of my stuff with me. And I was driving from my grandparents' house to my uncle's house where he's got some land. So we go shoot out there. Yeah. And I've just got like two rifles and a pistol in the backseat of the truck. No big deal. That's how we do it out here. And right. my was super chill about it. But my uncle was like, hey, man, like, do you have a case? And I was like, no. And he said, yeah, like in Illinois, you have to transport the gun in a case. Oh, yeah. Or you get, you know, penalized. I was like, really? Oh, no, their, their, <laughs> their gun laws there are horrendous. Um. Oh yeah. Chicago has even stricter laws. Oh yeah. Uh, But we drove out, uh, four years ago or so is before my wife and I were married. It's actually probably closer to five years ago. We drove out to visit her grandmother and, uh, I didn't even take my firearms with me because I was like, I I don't know. I don't know the extent to which the laws go. If you can't carry hollow points, uh, you know, or as soon as you I have no idea. Honestly, I, I I think that's New York. I don't know, though. I don't know. I've heard that more states are adopting that stuff, though. You know what I mean? Which doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. But I mean, the way it all kind of came together, we figured out in like a week and a half's time that we were doing this and like basically left immediately after work. And I just with the, you know, the clock on it and everything I was like, you know, I'm just gonna leave it here. Forget it. I won't worry about it. And pray to God that nothing bad happens. And 
Mm-hmm. And luckily, I mean, nothing did, but um, yeah, I mean, it's so kind of crazy that you ended up going as far as you did in the military and your family's not, cause I'm the same way. Now I, I never served or anything, but I grew up in a family where we didn't own firearms. Uh, didn't really talk about it a lot other than my mom, just like, she was like, I feel like it's a typical mom, like no shooting video games. Like, why are you watching that movie? You know? And it's like, you know, Navy SEALs with Charlie Sheen or something. I'm like, <laughs> is it awesome? You know? Oh um, yeah. But then as soon as my brother and I moved out, he brought home a Glock and I was like, well, dude, that's, that's sick. I want one. And I, I didn't know, <laughs> like I, I had completely not planned on it. I wasn't one of these guys that was like waiting until I turned 21 to go out and buy something or anything like that. It just, it was on my radar. And mm-hmm. so all of a sudden it was, and then exactly. it, it kind of spiraled pretty quickly after that. Um, you know, oh, one yeah. gun turned into two, turned into five, turned into wherever I'm at now. <laughs> or you could be at zero. Who knows? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and, and now it's, you know, Depending my brother is in the same spot, my, my wife ended up building her own, uh, you know, AR from, from scratch with cool. the help of a local gunsmith. I will, I will put that out there. Cause I'm not, you know, uh, qualified to do any of that stuff, but, um, uh-huh. but okay. So getting back to, to you <laughs> enough about me. Um, so military service said, uh, second group, is that right? So second ranger battalion, second yes. rangers. I'm sorry. Second no, rangers. No worries. Yeah. I am very bad with the nomenclature. Um, I do struggle. <laughs> so what was that like? I mean, how did you, I mean, was that something that you just, you joined up and, and decided that looks good. I want to do that. Or is this something, you know, what, I mean, how did you get there? Yep. So I'll give you the whole story. So, um, 18 years old, you know, just really into, kind of into sports trying to be as good as I could was never mm-hmm. really the top athlete but always trying you know I'm sure you know what I'm talking about oh yeah it's those dudes that like, yeah I'm trying to be good but then I just don't have it naturally but I got the work ethic whatever but I got really really into going to the gym physical fitness that kind of stuff and at the local YMCA that we had because that was the only gym we had around in my small town and actually wasn't even in my town it was in the town like the next town over <laughs> So um, an older guy, I don't want to say older if he's listening to this, (laughs) Um, but he was older than me. He was an army recruiter, Dave Martin, super awesome guy, took me under his wing, but I never actually knew he was a recruiter until like six months after I started like seeing him at the gym, all this kind of stuff. Anyways, one day he just tells me, man, you should like try out to be an army ranger. And I didn't even know what that was. So of course, you know, he referred me to Black Hawk Down and all these other kind of uh, movies movies and and stuff. stuff. Yeah. So I was like, that looks pretty damn cool. So that was around the time I was graduating and he set me up for success, man. I know him a lot. He set me up with an option 40 contract with, which basically means I'm going in the army. And if I um, perform to the standards that I need to, I will get to go to airborne school and I will get to go to ranger selection and give it a shot. So yeah, he set me up from there and I was pretty much bound and determined since I enlisted to make it. And I did successfully, which is awesome. <laughs> First time. Yep. Yep. So that was nice. I didn't have to. Cool. Yeah. So if, a funny timeline is I went in January, 2011 and I graduated Ranger selection in July, 2011. So straight through everything. It was a really fast process. Wow. 
I mean, honestly, the, the most surprising part of that is that you had such a positive experience with the recruiter only because I hear so <laughs> many stories about just, you know, the stuff right? that the guys, uh, you know, get dealt where, you know, whether it's army or Navy or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you, know, you sign this contract, man, you'll get to try and be a seal or, or what, you know, whatever, <laughs> not realizing that as they're signing this away that it like, yeah, but if you don't, you're going no, to the fleet, you're, you're doing laundry every day for like, you know, six months, you know, yep. uh, well, that, well, so for, uh, for me, that would have happened though. Pretty much if you fail, I'm sure it's the same way with SFAS. I mean, like the, the special forces guys stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, um, for us, for, if you fail RASP, Ranger Assessment Selection Program, then you get sent to this, they call it uh worldwide, meaning you're going to get sent to somewhere and you're going to be probably on the shit list and it's going to suck. Yeah. You're gonna get a bad job that nobody wants. Yeah, exactly. I mean, either way, you're going to be infantry because you pretty much got to be infantry to be there. Right. That's not exactly true. You could be like a supply guy, but 90% of the dudes there are infantry because they're trying to get into Ranger Battalion and do something, you know? So yeah, it's high stakes because if you fail, you're screwed. So it was, it was <laughs> RASP and then is yes, it RIP that, RIP that comes after it? Or is that the, so the old RIP, name for RASP? Yeah, RIP was um, what RASP used to be. So that's Ranger Indoctrination Program. Right, and that right. was three weeks long. And I think I was like the second or third RASP class. Either way, they changed it to RASP, but they made it eight weeks long. So they made the first half of it kind of like RIP was, which was like, you know, they smoke. You know what I mean by they smoke you? Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Physical, so uh, it's not really yeah. punishment, but it's kind of yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they screw with you. They smoke your balls off. You have to do all the physical stuff, the ruck marches, the PT tests, the land navigation, all the basic kind of stuff. And then the second month is they're still being really hard on you, but it's more along the lines of shooting. Um, what else? Like vehicle stuff, some tactic mm-hmm. type stuff. So they actually get you spun up a little bit on what you need to know. So then by the time you get to your battalion or the regiment, whichever one you go to, you are a little bit prepared. So they kind of right. changed it from whip to rasp. Yeah. So how many guys uh, made it through in your, I, do they call it a class? Yeah, so they call it the class. I do. I can't remember honestly. I'd say sixty to seventy. I I think we had to have started with one hundred fifty, one hundred sixty, and probably sixty to seventy or some odd ended up graduating. Wow, is that is that pretty standard for for that? Yeah, yeah. I think, I th- dude, it's the last podcast I was on. They asked all these same questions, and I really should have looked into this. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure I can go back to the documentation and find the numbers. Yeah, but I would say, yeah, a third to a half would probably make it through on a general. Course. Yeah. And I mean, because I think a lot of people when they talk about or when they I know, talk about when they think about this kind of thing, everyone goes straight to like buds, Navy SEALs and selection. I don't think a lot of people realize that, like, if you end up in any branch of the military in any portion of special operations right <clears throat> there's a, a selection process tied to it it's not just like a, hey I, I joined and i did this like oh there's, yeah there's a, oh, yeah. a process to get through it you know seals aren't the only ones you know that, that do that um mm-hmm. i just feel like they get the most notoriety although i i will say after doing a lot of uh reading and personal research and stuff and you mentioned black hawk down i actually read the 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 book that worked with a lot of the guys that were there and so not just like the adaptation from the film or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Like I just, the, and reading Chris Pronto's book, um, 
I don't know. There's, I have a, I'll, I have a, a large admiration for the Rangers and the, the history and like the tradition and everything that comes with it, um, oh, which yeah. is, I think for every, you know, every branch or every, you know, group unit, whatever. Um, I don't know, but I, I just, it's something that, that, that resonates with me. So I think it's really cool, uh, you oh, know, yeah. the chance to go through a lot of this with you. Um, so what was, what was your job then once you made it through uh, RASP? So I joined the military as an infantryman. So then when I got to 2nd Ranger Battalion, I was just an infantryman, but I got sent to weapon squads. So pretty much the majority of my time in was as a machine gunner, which I really, really enjoyed. It was awesome. Were you the smallest guy in your fire team too? Um, Here they do that just to fuck I wasn't with the smallest, but I was not a huge guy. I'm just okay. like 5'11", 180. <laughs> I'm just regular. Well, I, I had uh, Ian Strembeck from uh, Rune Nation on a couple of weeks ago when he was in, in the Marines and he was a saw gunner and he was the smallest guy. And uh, same thing, Sam's yeah. only the same thing. He's like, yeah, instructors love, they give the, the heaviest fucking gun to the smallest dude there. I was like, why would you do that? Because they think it's hilarious. Like, oh, that is kind of funny. All right. Like, oh, it probably sucks for whoever's got to carry it, but. No, I love being in weapon squad. It was awesome. You know, setting up a support by fire line on, you know, training and missions and stuff, which is, do you know what I'm saying by that? Yeah. I mean, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Super awesome. I love it. Working with the other gun team leader guys. It was an awesome experience. Yeah. So, I mean, so how long were you, how long approximately uh, were you in that? I mean, did that change? I guess would be a first question. But then, I mean, how long did, were you in that role? Yep. So when I first got in, I was just Army. my first, I guess I'll give you a little timeline. So yeah, January army, July, um, got to second ranger battalion. Everybody was on block leave going cause we're about to go on deployment. So I okay. showed up, had uh, my team leader, he got me squared away. And within like a month or so I was overseas in Afghanistan. So in my first wow. year in the army, I got to do basic airborne RASP and my first deployment which was pretty cool. That's a lot in one yep. year. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's almost like the ideal way. Like I feel like a lot of yes, people have that. I totally agree. That like pre-imagined idea, right. That when they join the military, like, Oh, well I'll be through everything in, in a year, ideally. And I mean, in most instances, that's really almost never the way it works yes. out, you know, just yeah, for usually, a lot of, you know, scheduling and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Usually it takes people forever and they have all sorts of wait times and everything. I got super lucky where I got to go straight through everything because then it kept me in that mindset, you know, I was, yeah. driven, I was motivated. I didn't have any time to relax. And, but that being said, that first deployment was pretty tough because I had good training, but not mm -hmm. an extreme amount of training up to that point with my platoon. So being like the brand new guy, I was the new guy. My first deployment, I was the new guy. Shaved yeah. head, the whole thing. <laughs> were you the only new guy i mean i don't know if you if there's like you know you said 60 or 70 they, they made it through were you the only one um in in your unit or um no so they came in yeah once you graduate rasp you know you got first second and third ranger battalion and then mm -hmm. you got regiment which would be um support type folks and all that stuff but from my to my company as i ended up in delta company first platoon and to my platoon, I was the only guy I graduated RASP with. But in a couple of other platoons in my company, there were some other guys that I graduated with. So I'm going to back it up a second just because I thought of this and it made me almost like giggle. Um, I, have, you ever, have you read uh, Matt Best's book at all? 
I haven't. I haven't. I probably should. <laughs> so it's very funny talking specifically about getting through ranger school and everything. And then if you get first, second or third battalion, said one of them, one, I, I don't know. I can't remember which one is stationed in, in Fort Benning. Yeah. And, so that's third. Okay. Yeah. And he specifically Nobody talks about not, yeah, not <laughs> wanting to be there. And yeah. I, remember, I think in the book, he, he specifically wrote it out too. He, he, when he got, I, 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 whichever one he went to, obviously not third. So he was too well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So when he got, when he, he saw his buddies, that got, you know, third or, uh, they got you know, third. It's uh, have fun fucking the Waffle House waitresses or, or getting the Waffle House waitresses pregnant or something. And I remember literally like losing my shit, just laughing my ass off. And my wife, while I'm reading this, just looking at me like I'm crazy. Then get on my phone and and messaging uh, my buddy Sam because he was there as attack P right. And he's like, "Oh yeah, dude, total shithole. Like, I fucking hate that place. Like, I, I would never go back if you paid me. Like, oh yeah, oh, man, yeah, this is hilarious. You Benning is a rough place." Yeah, the second battalion was my preferred. So second battalion's in Washington State. First battalion's also in Georgia, but it's by the beach, Savannah. So that's oh, so a lot nice. just about to. But yeah. yeah, third is right there, Fort Benning by the flagpole. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just that came to mind. And I wanted to I get that straight because I I couldn't. Yeah, I remembered that when I was reading. I'm like, I gotta know. Like, did you get stuck at the shithole, or did you get to go someplace good? So, yeah. But that being said, plenty of squared away dudes that I've met over the years, and in the security world, third back guys are squared away for sure. Oh yeah, I don't think it. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think it's a detriment to anyone. I think it's just you know everyone's got that preferred duty station, like or you know where they want to end up for for different reasons. For some guys, I think you know it's oh well that's where my family has been or that's where my friends are now or hey the weather's fucking awesome there you know uh-huh. you know sometimes it's simple i'm sure so um so how long so okay so your whole your first year you made it in deployment uh what came after that um so yeah my first deployment was rough brand new guy didn't know what the hell i was doing to it's to some extent and yeah. yeah, a huge, super steep learning curve the entire time. It was, we were doing missions almost every single night. And when we weren't doing missions, we were training because my team leader, my other teammate were trying to get me up to speed and all that kind of stuff. So it was high stress, high stakes all the time. That being said, I learned a ton, got in trouble a ton, which is all right, <laughs> but learned a ton. And yes, yeah, so I then got back in the late winter. And then got really started to get the real experience of like garrison life at 2nd Battalion, which was, you know, training all the time, PT every morning, doing PT on my own with all my buddies after work every day, probably overworking myself, getting to the point of overtraining. But, you know, whatever, that's how it goes when you're a young guy. And yeah, man, just training. And then for us, it was a four month deployments and then about six or seven months off. And the off okay. is like training. So that was around 2012 then, essentially, right? Yep, exactly. So and so this, I mean, obviously still GWAT, but was this was this right around when things kind of started to change with how the uh I'm drawing a blank here, rules of engagement uh started to to change and, and how they directed things um kind of started to shift. Or we had yeah, that already come and gone by now. I think, oh, okay. I mean, so yeah, I remember, I remember like some stuff about that. 
I remember when I was in on deployment there, of course there is strict rules of engagement and mm -hmm. they make sense. I think after I got out, I remember talking to buddies and things got a lot more, you know, they would probably call it lame, but whatever you want to call it, <laughs> they got very, very strict. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, when you're over there, you do what needs to be done. And I don't remember ever anybody having issues with doing what they thought was right and them getting in trouble. I don't remember any kind of situations like that. So I'd say we're pretty good to That's go. Good. Yeah. No, it's just, it's something that comes up, um, I, I, you know, reading people's, uh, I guess, memoirs or books that have been written or even just uh, hearing guys talk about it uh, and, and even watching the news. I think, you know, once we got to a certain point in the war, right, public pressure really mm -hmm. kind of changed some things, probably not for the better. Um, you know, uh, if you get the chance to read uh, James Mattis's book, I think he does a pretty good job explaining it. Um, oh yeah. I have read that excerpt out of that about that. I like yeah, it. Yeah. It's and actually, it's, it took me a while to finish. It's actually a pretty long book. I think it's a pretty good book personally, but um, <clears throat> that was one, one of the things that, that he brought up and talked about a lot in there was that change of perception and culture. Um, or I, I guess culture is probably the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying? How, how things changed, how things were handled and, and all that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so 2012, you guys are, you said on four months off, well, back what home, I assume stateside six, seven months training yep. and, and stuff like that. So how long did you stay in altogether? So I was in five years. So I got out late 2015. Okay. Yeah. And then, so now today, I mean, so then what, what did that look like? Um, I mean, I guess at what point did you decide like, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to go start a training company. This sounds good. You know, I mean, I'm assuming it was probably wasn't something that came to you like overnight, but. Oh, no, not at all. So I guess I'll go back to a little bit of the military time. Um, Let's see here. So I got to do four deployments overall. Super blessed to be able to do that many and only uh, one one uh, enlistment because a lot of times guys only get to do like two or three in that time frame. But since I got in and got to do one immediately and then I kind of. I had some leadership kind of hooked me up on the way out because I wanted to go on that last one as well. So they let me, which was super awesome, super fun. Every single one of them, I got incredible experiences, got to work with incredible people. But I'd say around halfway through a military career, I kind of decided I was going to get out. And it wasn't really for any reason that was bad. It was just, I kind of realized I didn't want to make it a career. You yeah. know, I liked it a lot, but I remember one of the Sergeant Majors we had, he said it best. He was like, you know, being in special operations, specifically Ranger Battalion, it's not for everyone as a life goal. He could, he described it as like a fire-breathing dragon. And not everybody wants to fight with that fire-breathing dragon for their entire <laughs> life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good way to put it, I guess. Yeah, because, yeah. dude, the guys that are in for their whole career, they're animals. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and you they get are, to a man. certain point, too, right, where you don't, I mean, you don't deploy anymore, or if you do deploy, you're not it's not the same, right? Yeah, You're doing, like, <laughs> it's like, you gotta be like the grown up or something. Uh, it's a pretty, that's probably a piss poor way to put it, but like, you don't get to do what you were doing. You, you, you know, have to be in charge of stuff and, and have more responsibility. And yeah, I think it's just different. And I think to your point, right. I think a lot of people, that's why a lot of people get out, you know, it's like, this is what I like doing and now it's done and it time to change. Yep, exactly. Um, 
That being said, my my first platoon sergeant, total badass. He was, I mean, I don't know how old he was. He probably looked older than he was because he was weathered. <laughs> oh, wow. That's but, nice when he's putting that. Yeah. yeah. Super squared away guy. But I mean, he was an older guy, platoon sergeant, still out there getting after it with us. I mean, you know, they you're out there doing missions. If you're in regiment battalion, I mean, your first 10 years, at least, you're going to be out there. Yeah. All right. There's no doubt you're going to be in the field, meaning downrange in the field overseas, for sure. You're not going to be pushing whatever they want to say, pushing paper or whatever, I would yeah. say, until 15 years. And then even as a first sergeant, I mean, they're still going on ops and everything. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess. Okay, so maybe I didn't realize that that's probably a little bit different for Rangers than it is for the, you know, the big army or something else, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit different. Yeah, I just I've been told like they don't want to see you sit still for very long. So if you make it more than three or four years without moving up, then that, you know, there's either some kind of issue or you you talk about moving out or or something like that Um, for better or for worse. uh, I mean, I get it. You, know, you want people to advance and you want, and those kinds of things. But, um, I've heard, I've heard other, uh, other folks have spent some time in the military, various branches. Uh, some people love that methodology there, that, that way of thinking. Um, I've also heard like the guys from, from Fieldcraft, right. That talk a lot about how it's detrimental because then if that person still has a lot of knowledge left to share, you're forcing them to move up to something else or change jobs, or whatever it's you know, not, maybe yeah, not the best. I don't know. It, it's tough to handle it because it's such a big, I guess you could say it's an organization, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I didn't get that. Yeah. It's tough to say. I got really lucky where I had my whole entire time. It's crazy. I have like a lot of different experiences than a lot of people had. Like my recruiter was super awesome. My drill sergeant, of course he was a hard ass on us, but I respect, respected him a lot. And he was a great guy. Because I just, and my squad leaders, my platoon sergeants, everybody, I had great leadership and I got really lucky where my squad leader towards the end of my career, he saw that what I was doing as a gun team leader was, I knew what I was doing and I loved it. And I, I he knew I was going to get out. So it was kind of like that. He's just going to let me do it. He let me do my thing and he let me do that last deployment. And I got really lucky, man. Super bosses, blessed, like that, bosses like that are they're hard to come by in any line of work oh, yeah that's that, that's pretty awesome yep so that's kind of the kind of guys i try to model myself around as you know doing my own i do my training company and all that but anyways so yeah that's where that's how we got into this right the training company how'd i get to yeah. that <laughs> yeah so um let's see here yeah i'd say about halfway through my military career i was like yeah i'll probably get out because like you said things were starting to slow down like my first deployment, we went on missions damn near almost every night. And my last one in a four-month trip, we went on like 30 or 40, you know, which is still a lot. It was awesome. But you mm-hmm. can see a big time downshift. down. Yeah. So got out. My plan was to be a super badass strength conditioning guy, which I would say I guess I am now, but I have different focus. <laughs> yeah. Slightly different lens to that, uh, to that yep. picture. But uh, so got out, I uh, started my bachelor's degree at University of Illinois in Champaign. I'm sure you probably heard of that area. Yes, I have heard of yep. Champaign. Yeah. So first two years of college at Champaign, Illinois, University of Illinois, kinesiology program. So like the study of human movement, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yep, learned a lot, really loved it. That being said, the kinesiology route almost ended up almost too easy for me. I was never a scholar in high school, but the problem was I just didn't apply myself like I did when I got to college. So I got to college and I was like, this is all pretty much my job now. So I was doing really, really well. I got into like the 400 level classes as a sophomore in the kinesiology wow. department. Yeah. And at that point, kinesiology was good, but I wanted another level. So I saw at University of Colorado, they offered an integrated physiology program, which is similar to like a pre-med type stuff. So hopped over University of Colorado for my last two years of college. There, things got a lot more sciencey and got into a lot more, whatever you want to call it, scientific type strength and conditioning courses. Sure, sure. And yep. So at that point, I was like, yeah, what I want to do is I want to be a physical therapist and have a badass strength and conditioning gym combined with physical therapy. And I was getting to my last semester of college and I was like, man, books and all this stuff, this is getting old. <laughs> yeah. 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 Getting yeah, tired so of this. One of my buddies who I was in with and who was in my platoon, really awesome guy. I looked up to him a lot. We ended up reconnecting in my last semester and he, we were talking and he was doing some private security stuff. So he's like, dude, you should just come work with me. I was like, yeah, I'll look into it. So he sends me the info on it. I was like, yeah, this looks good. It pays pretty well. So then I ended up like, all right, I'm going to put school on the back burner. I'm going to go do this security type stuff. And ever since then, I've been doing just that. <laughs> I did get oh. a, I did get a, it's called like your, how do I say this? Everybody knows about it. I get a really high level strengthening and conditioning certificate when I was doing the security stuff. So I'm still mm -hmm. set up to do stuff like that, but I've been doing that for the last three years and getting back into that realm because it's kind of like military, but in more of a sense, big boy rules because you're on your own. Now you are the asset versus your platoon is the asset, you know? Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So it really forced me to up my standards and my marksmanship, PT, you know, tactics, all this kind of stuff. And they teach us a lot of really cool stuff. So working with all those guys over there, I almost was like, dude, I can do this on my own. I love what I'm doing. I've been kind of a teacher and mentor my whole life for people in the physical preparedness realm. And yeah, here in Utah, when COVID kicked off, the uh, security stuff kind of went in the back burner because they weren't wanting to shuffle people around. Saying no one's, no one's doing anything, going anywhere, seeing anything. There's nothing to do. Exactly. So then it almost became a moment where pressure creates diamonds. I was like, all right, my bank account is starting to dwindle. <laughs> but I've got I've got all these skills and my skills have gotten even better since I got out of the military, I feel like. And Utah is prime for this kind of firearms and tactics stuff. So I just started it. Just started doing it and was charging people like 15 bucks an hour to teach them. <laughs> I that's a that's a pretty damn good uh oh yeah good deal for for most of us out there. Yeah, man. My whole my goal was to provide top-notch training and mentorship at an affordable price because I'm sure you looked into it. You look at some stuff out there and it's like, how could I afford it? You know, no, I've, I have honestly, and given even here in Michigan, where <laughs> it's uh, pretty slim pickings for training. Um, you know, I, I found one place, it, it, great facility, great building, you know, uh, unfortunately right now it's all indoor shooting. Um, <clears throat> but like one day classes, and I think around like 
175 or you know 250 or something like that and it was a fairly low round count and i was like i can i can do that like this is awesome i can make that commitment i can do that because for years leading up to that um i i hadn't taken a course i didn't have six or eight hundred dollars for tuition plus uh you know 2500 or 3500 rounds Plus oh, yeah. uh, the gas money it was going to take to drive to Ohio or Tennessee. Plus, you know, stay in a hotel. I mean, I just, I didn't, I didn't have that to spend. I mean, I did. Right. But I, I couldn't. And I think a lot of people look at it that way too. It's like, I'm not going to empty the savings account and leave myself and my wife or myself or God forbid, you know, myself, wife and kids <clears throat> hanging out there with, with no safety net, you know, financially mm-hmm. speaking. So I can go get training. Training's important you can't, can't really put like a dollar amount on your preparation and safety levels, but it's a, you know, it's a balancing act. And a lot of people uh, not knowing how they're going to even enjoy a class like that. Cause they've never been, it's exactly. tough to make that decision, you know? Um, and I think, I think we're starting to see a handful of places out there that are starting to look at it the way you do, where it's oh, like, yeah. this needs to be for the people, not, Hey man, I, I mean, and you see some of those guys, you know, and like good for them cashing out or whatever, but like, dude, if you're driving around a Porsche and smoking cigars every weekend <laughs> and partying and living your good life, and then you're out here putting out your, your courses are 1700 bucks and you know, like cool, man. I just, I don't know if that's for me. And I think a lot of people feel that way. I think they want like that. I don't know. They're like approachable person that they they can rely on for for good information and mm-hmm. uh, an enjoyable experience and want to come back and then want to tell their friends about it I'm like hey exactly. you own a gun dude we should go we should go train with Devin. we should go hit the range together like i feel like that's the it's a barrier oh you know? yeah and exactly. we have way too many new gun owners in this country especially in the last two years right mm-hmm. uh to not to not have training as a more available resource. Yep, exactly. Our mission, well, I guess my mission now are, because I got an awesome little team from the beginning was, you know, I'm not an instructor, I'm a mentor. I'm not here to, you know, be a dick and tell you that you're screwed up and I'm going to, I'm going to fix you. I'm just here to guide you along your way. And it just like you just talked about, we don't want, you know, funding to be some sort of barrier to entry because we right. want this stuff to get out to as many people as we can within reason, of course. But yeah, man, I think you nailed it on the head. And I think another reason why you are seeing more affordable stuff is because competition. There's more people in the point space, too. there's more availability. Why would I go pay 800 bucks when I can go to this guy and he's three, 400 bucks and all that kind of stuff, you know, I think you nailed it. Yeah. And I think people start to kind of realize too, that in some instances, uh, big name, big money doesn't always mean big education. Um, and that's one of the things mm-hmm. like I would see these videos right on YouTube or photos on social media. And it's like, yeah, come take this class from whatever big name guy. And you're going to pay this big, huge price tag and everything. And I see the firing line and it's like 50 dudes. I'm like, there is no way anybody's going to be fucking talking to me. I'm going to be sitting here Exactly. wasting, you know, 22 cents a trigger pull or something, you know, I mean, or whatever, you know, and I'm going to get talked to once every 35 minutes where exactly. they tell me to tighten up my grip or, you know, squeeze my ass together or something. I don't fucking know. <laughs> and, and I'm paying all this money, 
you know, mm-hmm. like, could it be great? Maybe. Do I have that, that overwhelming feeling that I'm going to be a priority? I don't, I didn't know. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's, and that's, yeah, that's, that's one of our, exactly. That's one of our huge things. The one-on-ones and the private sessions is the biggest key for me. That's how I started. That's how I, you know, meet people and then, you know, get them engaged with the process. And then a lot of times they end up moving on to courses and all that stuff because, you know, everybody wants the individual attention. And then when they get the individual attention, they flourish. They make so much progress versus huge classes. And another point to that is even our group classes, we kept them at six people. So it's six hour class with only six people. And usually I'll have another fellow mentor that helps me out. So we like to focus on small groups and really, really detailed, personalized teaching, you know? Yeah, no. And that's, I think the large, I've been in a couple of classes so far. And I think the largest one I've been in was 12 people with mm-hmm. uh, two instructors or maybe one instructor, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, you get that individualized level of, of attention while not, well, not also feeling like the instructor is just hovering on you because you're the worst one there or something. Cause people uh, like I, people are apprehensive about that or anxious about it. You know, like <clears throat> I've said this before on this podcast, I have no shame in saying this. When I, sh- when I shoot the cold start at the beginning of the class, like my anxiety is a little spiked, you know, I'm like, all right, I just don't want to be the worst one here. Like, don't be the worst one here. Don't fuck this up. Don't fuck this up. Uh-huh. You know? And then after that, like, as long as I don't like totally shit the bed on that. I'm, I'm good after that. Like I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Like you break the ice and I'm, I'm cool. But I know a lot of people are like, they, they, especially if they haven't been in a situation where they get coached uh, or, or some kind of a lesson, you know um, like I teach music, you know, so individualized lesson or anything like that. A lot of people that aren't used to that they equate uh, more, more input from the, the instructor, right. As you're doing more wrong than the next person. Yeah. And I mean, I could, okay. So there, there may be some truth to that, but it, it's not exactly that because you're not competing with the person next to you or you shouldn't be. I mean, you should be competing with yourself and, you know, use the person next to you as a measuring stick if you want, or, or don't completely up to you. Like you were saying earlier, we all, I think a lot of us love that, that competitive edge, no matter how good or bad we are, you know, oh, I, yeah. you know I mean? You want to fight through it. You want to get better. And then you want to come back and do it again. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I see it. And I, <clears throat> I think that, um, the smaller class sizes and the more individualized attention is great. I think the, the one-on-one, like the lessons or, or whatever you want to call it, right. One-on-one training sessions, uh, are something I, I, I wish more people offered, um, because it, it really, it really does help. I think oh, yeah. with people that have that, you know, anxiety, they're apprehensive about it. They don't, the uncertainty, um, and they don't want to get out in a class cause they feel like they're going to embarrass themselves or something. Um, exactly. Like for instance, uh, this on Sunday, we had multiple one-on-ones and one of them was myself and a law enforcement officer, a female law enforcement officer, super awesome lady. And I'm not going to say what department she's from because I don't want to call them out. <laughs> not throw anything uh, out there. Yeah. We did a two hour session and she's literally, she said, wow, at the end of it. She said, I have made so much more progress in this two hours than I've made in the past like few years. That's crazy. Just because it's just that individualized attention. And one thing that is my main focus, I don't know, I think, I don't know if this is what other people focus on. I'm going to go take some uh, courses from some local guys around here. 
pretty soon just to kind of get involved and, you know, support them and see kind of what mm -hmm. they do. But my main focus is always on the trigger. And just focusing on trigger with her got it to where she's, you know, grouping in a quarter size. It's only a three yards, but consistently grouping in a quarter size, uh, whatever area over and over and over and over again. Because especially when I deal with people that carry LE people, all this kind of stuff, accountability is everything. And every time you pull that trigger, you have to hit the target. Oh, absolutely. You know exactly. There's no, oh, well, I did pretty decent. No, 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 that doesn't work. If you're going to be the responder, and this is civilians too, because we are the responders mm -hmm. situations, because a lot of times there's not an LE professional there. And yeah, man, trigger, 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 because I always demonstrate I'll stand on one foot, hold the gun in my offhand and hold it. I can't remember what they call this grip. It's like a drill or something, but you only hold it with your thumb and your finger on the your trigger. Next finger. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And you can nail a center mass to 25 yards with that. Trigger squeezes everything. Now, my subsequent round that I send might be a little tough. <laughs> it might take a little longer than normal. A follow-up shot, yeah. But, yeah, man, accountability and trigger is we focus on that hardcore because we want people to be confident they can make the shot. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. No. And oh, there you guys said it. I said you know what I'm saying. <laughs> there you go. There it is. And we talked about that a lot in the – I took a concealed carry tactics course. The, hmm. the accountability piece. You know, yes. if you're going to carry a gun, you have to, you have to be accountable every round that goes down range. And, you know, and that's, <clears throat> I don't want to say frightening, but it, it, it puts like a heavy context on it for people, you know, like you frame it, it's, it is heavy, you know, but it's appropriate. I think that the, yes. you know, setting proper expectations with someone that wants to carry a gun is, is a, is a good thing. It's a good, you know, it's the way it should be. Um, so talking about accountability, you know, why, yeah, you got pretty close on that cold start but pretty close doesn't, you know, that, yeah, yeah, you missed it by, you know, a half an inch, but half an inch further out, you missed it by an inch. And that's, what does that mean? You know, exactly. you have to be more accountable for every one of those rounds. And then additionally starting to build some, you know, context around that, why it's important to be, be able to draw quickly. Uh, and, and then additionally, right that speed with the accuracy and how to, yes. you know, compound it or like, you know, here we set the bar at one and a half seconds. Like, okay, but why is that? It's just an arbitrary number. And uh -huh. um, there's a tool or drill, right? So one and a half seconds is when your average assailant can cover. I always fuck this up. Robbie, if you're listening, you're going to make fun of me for this, but I think it's like 20 feet, 20 yards or 20 feet or something in a second and a half is how is a second and a half is how uh, quickly they can close that distance. And I was like, wow, that makes a shitload of sense. Like someone actually yeah. studied this and made a drill for it. And so then that was like the bar, like, and everyone got like, got that mark, maybe not consistently, but everyone got to that point by the time the class was, you know, mm -hmm. completed. So, and I think that's the stuff that it helps, you know, and whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's in a, in a course, you know, uh, not just telling someone, well, this is my standard. This is whatever training company standard. This is why you have to do it. Here's why that's important. Not just because yep. I want you to feel like shit for not being able to do it. I'm not even <laughs> saying that it's not hard, right? You know, uh, it's, but here's why it's important. Real yep. world context. Um, yeah, man, you would, you would love our, uh, we got a bunch of targets and stuff that I made up. They're like printable PDFs on the website, but the main one we use for every single class. And I do every time I go to the range, I do this sometimes multiple times and it's just three little circles and it's from three yards away. 
And mm-hmm. the first circle, you do 10 by one. So beep or threat, or you just do it, whatever your, yeah. <laughs> whatever your initiation is. Yeah. Draw one round and you do that 10 times. The middle circle is five by two. So draw two rounds, you do it five times. And the last circle is two by five. And there is a time standard for like intermediate and advanced. But if you miss the circle at any moment, throughout all the repetitions, you fail because you shouldn't. It's three yards away. The circle is, I don't know, about three inches across probably. So it's a tough standard, but it's doable. I would say three inches is actually somewhat generous considering what it's generous. You know, it's generous. Yeah. Can, what you're putting on an eight and a half uh, by 11 piece of paper. And I know a lot of them though, like one and a half or one inch. And it's like, okay, this is intimidating. Even at three yards, you're like, shit, shit. Am I yeah, gonna like do it? You know? The other day we were running some of those uh, tier one concealed three sevens. And I've been doing a lot of stuff with my uh, stock Glock lately because I'm going to do that tactical games. Have you heard of that? Oh, yeah. Yep. yeah. So I'm doing one of those in August, but you have to use uh, irons, which I'm all about irons. Really? They have, uh, is it like a, a class that you're in or yeah, so like, in the, all of tactical games in the elite division, you have to use irons. Okay. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, like elite shooters don't run red dots. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it works for me because all of my military time, um, M nines and Glocks irons. All my private security time, M or Glocks, irons, and just until recently, I have a, uh, I have two two pistols, a Glock 17 stock with irons and a Glock 17 stock with an RMR. So I feel like you know this the irons rule is going to actually help me out because I'm like really feel really confident. Well, with you it. didn't you didn't feel the overwhelming urge when you got out of the military to go run out and buy an M9. <laughs> no dude m9 is trash <laughs> <laughs> that's what everybody i talk to it's like it, I, when i was looking at my, my first full-size gun i was like talking to my buddy sam like dude i should i was i, I think i get a beretta you know like i've seen lethal weapon man <laughs> and and this like i hadn't i didn't know shit about shit this is like this is a long time ago <clears throat> he's like no dude those things are trash i go no they're not like everybody oh, uses them he goes no dude it's a glorified paperweight i fucking hate this gun like there's there's a reason why anybody outside of big army gets away from it as soon as they can like exactly sigs glocks whatever like no the m9 is garbage don't don't buy one don't do it it's a waste of money like what about the good ones with a rail and all the other stuff he's like no you're just gonna waste your money bro just (laughs) buy a glock buy a smith like whatever so oh yeah but yeah back to the uh the circles yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, i made it a three it's about a three inch across all three circles because I also want them to push the speed. But yeah, we were doing the three sevens the other day. And I was trying with my irons, but dude, it's just those one in circles with the irons. It's just silly. <laughs> now, is that the kind of stuff that when you, when you guys see students come into the class, is that the kind of stuff that you see that is in, I mean, do a lot of people train to that kind of a standard or is it, are you, do you, you still see a lot of people where like they buy the, whatever, the silhouette you know, over the counter at the gun range. And that's what they're used to shooting is that big target. And as long as you, Hey, you know, as long as you got one center mass, you're good enough. And the grouping is like 17 inches, you know, like yes. shoulder to crotch or something. So that's what most people I see are training on experience, whatever. And then when they come work with us, they're like, Oh, and then I explain to them why we're trying to be accountable for every single one of these rounds. Cause we're liable for all of them. And we are the responders, all that kind of stuff we just talked about. But yeah, I'd say most people go from the big target. And then when I start working with them, it clicks in their head like, oh, 
I need to actually be accurate and precise with these projectiles I'm sending at, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 feet per second out into the world, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. And I, it's just, it's one of those things that I think are, is kind of out there in the world, you know, uh, with, I'll say the, the two, a community It's still, it's getting a lot better. It's got a shitload better in the last five or six years for a variety of reasons, but so a lot of those people that they go buy, they go to the gun range, they buy the gun from the gun range as recommended by whatever guys work in the counter and mm-hmm. they shoot from a stall and that's it. And yep, exactly. there's no, like I said, no context, no challenge. Uh, the, the, even the concept of dry fire is extremely foreign uh-huh. to people. Uh, when I know when I talk to friends uh, that, that bought guns during, I'll say the pandemic, right? The last two years, it's, yeah, it's what it was. It was the pandemic. Uh, whether it was a Glock or uh, a shield or whatever. And they go, yeah, I just bought this gun, man. Like, Sick, dude. What do you, all right, what are you going to do? He said, what do you mean? I go, well, are you going to take a class or anything? Said, oh yeah, I got my CPL. I was like, that's, that's cute, but it's not at all what I'm talking about. Like, are you going to go, are you going to go get some help from somebody? He said, well, what do you mean? And I have to explain that there's, there's classes to teach you how to do all this stuff and that you can practice at home without ammo. And they think like, so you want me to go play with my gun? Like, well, it's kind of a crude way to put it, but yeah, you should, I, I think you should, oh, yeah. if it's something you're going to have in the house, like, yeah, play with the gun, like rack the slide, understand how much, you know, uh, energy, whatever foot pounds is going to take to rack that slide, do it over and over and over again. So, you know, and pull the trigger, like you should be well acquainted with it. If it's, if it's something that you're only going to touch that moment, right. When you're going to try and save your life or the life of a loved one, you you might want to reconsider the purchase, man. Like it's, it's a little bit bigger and maybe that's me or maybe that's people like us, you know, that, that, uh, that's cool of thought maybe, but I think it's something that needs to be more widely adopted, you know, from a cultural oh, yeah. standpoint, especially, uh, Hey, you bought a gun. It's a responsibility. They're fun as hell. It's a responsibility. Go mm-hmm. and get training. You know, I mean, so let me ask you that. I mean, is that, from a perceived attitude standpoint, I guess, is that something that you guys are run into in classes or just maybe with people that you converse with where it's still just that I only have this just in case. Um, so I also, I'm lucky enough to have a little job at the gun store here locally one day Mm -hmm. a week on Mondays. If anybody's in the Utah area, come to range masters. I'm there hanging out on Mondays. What a way to spend your Monday. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I get to meet a lot of people this way exactly that and i would say you know i'd say it's 50 50 the thing is of course i get a biased view because all the people most of the people that i talk to and that i meet and that i've come to a class or whatever of course (laughs) they're about uh, training to higher standards you know yeah yeah Yeah, there's plenty there's plenty of people that come to the gun range and they're just kind of sending rounds and whatever and you know but yeah that's just them and me and my manager he's a really squared away guy too we'll talk to him so Hey, you know, what do you, we talked to him. Hey, what are you training today? Oh, and then maybe they'll say nothing. Then I'll try to give them like, oh, here, you know, you got this target. It's like a standard B8, a circle, something like that. Yep. Yep. You know, a good thing to practice might be if, if you want it, you know, you could try to shoot this, do your whole mag nice and slow, keep them all in. It's five yards or something. And doing those little things I've noticed makes a difference in the community. Then they start to see, oh, dang, I got eight out of 15 in my mag and that I'm going to try that again. And now they start kind of seeing that change of more focused on accountability rather than just 
sending rounds and hitting the whole Ipsic style target at three yards, you know? Yeah. And I, and, and that's something that I think there's, there's a, a bit of a learning curve with that too, you know, like oh, yeah. teaching uh, shooters, how to plan for a range trip, you know, I mean, ammo the last mm-hmm. couple of years is very expensive uh, range time costs something, you know, it's not super expensive, but it costs something. Um, so how do you, yeah, and I feel like there's like a million videos out there, right? Like, oh yeah, how to make the most out of your range session or how to, you know, best uh, practice routine for 50 rounds. And a lot of it's like outdoor ranges and like, oh, you can run around and do this. And it's like, okay, cool. But what about for people that don't have like, like me, I, I don't have that. <laughs> if I want to go to the range, not in a class or something, if I just want to go to the range myself, how can I best utilize my half hour or my hour with hundred rounds or 200 rounds? And there's, there's several things you can work on, but I think a lot of people just go. And like you said, I just want to get them on the paper, right? I'm just going to work on loosely defined here, probably prop, you know, poor word usage. I'm going to work on marksmanship and, <laughs> you know, cause I think that there's a, a few things that, that kind of add up to the overall concept of marksmanship. Right. But people don't really know. They just go, they're just going to pull the trigger. They're going to put it on the paper or try to, and that's good enough. You know, yeah. and I get it. I think it's a, it's an overall lack of education that, that leads to that. Um, well, it's a, it's a similar concept to people with physical fitness and everything, you know, ugh, I do know. I really do know <laughs> 50 or 50, who knows, whatever, however many people you see it's the same thing. They kind of go to the gym a couple of times, who knows how, however often they go. Yeah. And it's just going through the motions of with no set goal or no set parameters on what I want to do. And, same idea, same idea, just like shooting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think, and that I think is something that additionally people start or should start to build into, I call it a training routine. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. the gym is, I mean, some of these are outrageous, but the gym's cheaper than the range. And oh yeah, when people start looking at this big picture, right. Your physical fitness is a supplement is supplemental, right. To your, your shooting ability and everything else. Right. Um, Shit, that's why I got my ass back in the gym. You know, uh, I went right after they opened up because this may be hard for you to hear because apparently <laughs> people in your part of the country didn't deal with this shit. But here in Michigan, they actually shut all of our gyms down for like nine and a half months. And yeah. like they didn't even try limiting capacity. Hey, you have to wear a mask and that stuff. Like, nope, we're shutting it down completely. And then once they did open it back up, it was like three months of I had to wear a mask while I was doing it. So after sitting at home for nine and a half months, and this is totally on me, I know there's other ways to get out and get healthy. I did not find any of them. So, you know, nine and a half months of sitting on the couch, eating, drinking a ton, right. And get so getting back into the gym in the end of, it was like October of 2020, right. Um, that sucked. That mm. was real, real rough for me. Uh, oh, yeah. Working on cardio with a mask on. Uh, while also trying to get over that hunt, that like initial, uh, I don't know, that hump, right. Of like that first two weeks where you hate going. Cause you just, you, you hate it. It's uncomfortable. You're not happy yet. Um, but you start to realize some things like I, I feel better. I feel mm-hmm. a shitload better. Uh, I've built a lot more muscle. Still haven't lost all the weight I want to lose, but I've built muscle, you know, and it's, it, it, it is, it's supplemental. Like, yeah, you can shoot like a motherfucker, but if you can't, get from point A to point B to make that shot. Does it really, 
Mm-hmm. Does it matter? And is that something, it, it sounds like it's something you guys are building into curriculum with, like you said, with that two day course overnight and everything oh, is, yeah. is physical fitness, you know, it's obviously something you're passionate about, but is it something that you're seeing? Is it, is it ignored by, by shooters? Um, well, most of the shooters I work with, no, <laughs> but yeah, cause Fair. we talk about Fair. it. But, yeah. Um, I think, I mean, as a, as a whole though, I think it's just ignored by everybody, you know? Yeah. And it's so insanely important. As you said, like for the shooter, the tactician, whatever you want to call it, you know, if you want you say like, yeah, I'm the sheepdog and everything. And I'm always carrying my SBR I, in the back of I my fucking, truck. I hate, I hate <laughs> the sheepdog thing. I, I do. It makes me cringe. It's like one step over mall ninja. It really, <laughs> but there's uh, so many things yeah. you can call yourself, you know, and right. live that kind of lifestyle. Like, God, why don't you just whip it out so we can measure right now, dude? Like, I just, I hate that when guys be posted or whatever. And it's always the worst videos too. They're always like mall security. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's kind of why I said it because it kind of goes in line with <laughs> that kind of guy. Yeah. But, you know, oh, if something goes down and oh, yeah, I need to go grab my, uh, my truck gun. It's like, dude, you're first off, physical training is just going to get you better at handling stress in general. So mm-hmm. even if there isn't like a sprinting or a cardio component to your real life scenario, being more fit versus not, it's just going to help you better mentally handle it in the first place. There's no, there's no question about that. And then, you know, in our little scenario, we're talking about if you have to then move to get a, another weapon system or whatever, you're trying to be the hero, you're going to chase down the threat because maybe, oh, let's think about Uvalde. Maybe, you know, we don't want to need to get too much into it. I mean, I'm down, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, I go ahead. But um, maybe the, the cops aren't doing anything and then you get past them. Dude, imagine how freaking high your heart rate's going to be. And if you're out of shape and you're maybe less trained, dude, making that shot is going to be near impossible, you know? Yeah, it's way physical, harder. The physical training aspect helps you in the mental stress management, the physical stress management. Like you're saying, overall lifestyle betterment, it's everything, dude. It's so important. Yeah, it's it it one builds on the other, builds on the other. At least yep. that's how that's how I found it. And I think it's very easy for guys. I shouldn't say guys for people, right? Because women do this too to some extent. Um, to focus on one specific piece of everything, mm. and 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 I mean definitely right. No, nobody's gonna be perfect at everything. Everyone's gonna have something that they need to be better at. Um, but it's it's almost like you know you see a lot of these people and they're like, oh yeah, I went out and bought this brand new play carrier and I got this new belt. Like, didn't you just buy a new belt? Yeah, but this one's better, dude. It's two pieces <laughs> instead of one. And like, are dude? That's yeah, that's legit, man. Cool. Like your favorite YouTube person uses it or or Instagram <laughs> person, or whatever, and. You know, like, and I get it, you know, maybe it is a really good belt, but is that really where your, you know, your time or your money is best, is best mm-hmm. spent, you know, Dude, I, I, mean, I got I got I got to say, I couldn't agree more, man. I've, I had like the shittiest belt set up until like a year ago. It was just trash. <laughs> What's your definition of trash though? Cause there's, I mean, like Condor. Um, so I don't even know what, I think the belt, it was like a big clip in the middle. Like an, it was like an OD green Eagle industries. You kind of know what I'm talking about. Like oh yeah. yeah. The, the, the big fat, like the, 
the old yeah. school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had that with that big belt buckle because that's what we had in the mill. So I was like, because uh, but like you said, I was trying to go as cheap as possible on the belt system because mm-hmm. I wanted to spend as much as possible on ammunition because I need to get this practice in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's I wish more people thought that way. You know, I mean, like, and I shouldn't even I shouldn't even shit on Condor all the way because some of their newer stuff, like the laser the- stuff and everything, is actually getting better my wife has one and so does my brother and i was i mean i was pretty surprised when i got it i go this this is way nicer than i thought it was gonna (laughs) be um or even the eagle stuff you know i mean uh and there's been you know youtube videos like how you can get gear during the pandemic when everything was out of stock like go on ebay eagle yeah it might be a little bit older whatever but it's it's like structurally speaking it's still strong it's still gonna get the job done and there's probably a lot of surplus hanging out from guys that got out i know when uh when sam got out he like dropped a box of shit off my at my house he's like do you want this and there's all the gp pouches and like just all kinds of shit and dropped off a couple uh you know like backpacks with uh, the frames and everything and i'm like dude nice do do i I need to give you anything for this he's like no my wife's gonna kill me if i don't get out of the basement like please i already dropped two boxes Ah. off at the surplus store like just take it like sick awesome yeah you can you can still and i think uh I got like a tactical tailor chest rig out of it. That thing's actually pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. Those are good. Yeah. I mean, not as, uh, not as popular on the gram as some of the other <laughs> stuff, but, uh, I mean, it made it, I, I think before I actually bought myself like a spiritus rig, I, I used it, uh, when we went on that land nav trip, it was great. Like had, mm-hmm. uh, like the double M4 pouches across the front. I just shoved them full of like snacks and a water bottle. Uh, and then, uh-huh. uh, my map and, uh cheap ass compass that i totally didn't realize was gonna fuck me over when we got out there because it <laughs> the um what do you call it like the edge of the comp the, the whatever what you rotate right to bezel? uh set your what is it bezel i was gonna say bezel i wasn't sure if that was the right word I'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure bezel I think when you close the top of it it leaves the sides well it's round but like the the outer sides or whatever of the bezel are exposed and there's not a lot of like friction there. So if it moved around or anything, that's like twisting while it's in there. So when we sat down, we got all the way out to where we were going and uh, we pulled up the map and Sam checks his GPS. And he's like, all right, man, you want to get us back? I was like, uh, no, I'm <laughs> regrettably unprepared for this. And the first thing I did when I got home was get online and buy a Sunto, like $50 compass, like nice, real money on something I know isn't going to totally screw me over when I need it to matter. Um, that was a very enlightening weekend for me i think in the span of like four days i found out there's not one north but like three um and if you read a map that way you're totally screwed uh that a ten dollar amazon compass uh is not gonna save you and uh also that i really eat too many snacks when i'm out doing that stuff so Uh, that's funny but yeah so i guess you could say long story short on the compass and that kind of realm you don't want to cheap out <laughs> and but no one wants to realize it like yeah that's really important maps and markers and the uh the not the compass the map protractor right that little sheet of plastic i yeah i was instantly informed and when i realized <laughs> how bad the stuff i had was i'm like all right lesson learned yeah Went home dropped like 100 bucks Yep. That being said, like we discussed gear versus ammunition for training, highly recommend ammunition for training. Always, always ammunition for training. As yeah. you know, 
people talk about it. Um, who said this? I can't remember. Somebody asked this guy, cool, uh, like a fun, funny gun guy online or something. He was like, they were like, what's the best Glock up Glock upgrade? And he said, somebody behind it who knows how to manipulate the trigger properly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's what you need. You need to be able to know how to shoot the damn thing. You don't need a $300 belt set up and all this crazy stuff. Yeah, it's all supplemental. Like, it's nice to have, but ultimately amounts to nothing if you don't have the, <laughs> the software, right? Or whatever, the training, the information to to be effective running. And that's why, I mean, like, I I mean, everyone likes the the fancy shit. Right. But I, the, the Glock 19, I run, it's the MOS. I did upgrade the plate because the MOS plates suck balls from the factory. So I got an aftermarket one for my RMR. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I put the like ghost connector in it or something, but past that everything's stock, my carry my 43 X that I carry stock. Nice. It doesn't make sense to, you know, lighten up the trigger and get the the world's like you know most expensive iron sights with the red and it's it's like cool did you spend any money on ammo well i mean now they got the gun where i want it yeah now i'm gonna save up for some ammo it's like oh, kind yeah. of putting the cart before the horse there but yeah dude that's yeah that's my whole thing too for the last years until now i started getting some i've got like a nice belt set up and a nice chest rig and a play carry and all that but it kept coming down to that because, like, like I said, all my pistols are stock. I just got an RMR on my Glock like six months ago because mm -hmm. I was like, dude, I can't spend four or five, six hundred bucks on this stuff. I need a couple more thousand rounds of nine to go to the range with and practice and practice. And, Shit, practice. and yeah, and the way that ammo prices jumped up, that mm -hmm. yeah, I'd say it was pretty rough there for a minute too. If you wanted to be shooting during or shooting any volume right during uh, 2020. Yeah. Or 2021. I think we're just now starting to see it. Yeah, it's coming down. To, yeah, to reasonable levels. Yeah, and there's something to be said also about keeping your gun stocked because, you know, I mean, really good manufacturers, Glock and Sig are pretty much what I recommend to everybody. Mm -hmm. They make the pistols that way for a reason, you know, because they're yeah. going to be durable and the thing's going to work. For instance, on one of these last, uh, um, one of my extracurricular activities that I've been doing, I got to go. You know, we have our own range and everything. We're wherever we are, having a great time. And a couple months, Glock Gen 4 old. How many guys have shot this thing before me? Who the heck knows? Old Glock 17, right? Shot about 6,000 rounds through it in a couple months. And uh, just to test it, I wouldn't suggest this. I, I clean my weapons once in a while, of course. But just to <laughs> test it, I... Uh, didn't touch it once. Didn't even open it up. 6,000 rounds, old Gen 4, no issues whatsoever. And that's the way it's supposed to, yeah, like you said, it's supposed exactly. to work that way. It just, it kills me when guys like, oh, I got this two and a half pound Timney trigger. Or, oh, dude, I hate that. <laughs> um, or, uh, oh, I dropped, you know, 400 bucks. or uh, That's probably a little bit much. Three, you know, 300 bucks on like a Geisley drop and trigger on their AR. Like, dude, I can run this thing fast, man. I can run this thing so fast. Can you, though? Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, rate of fire is cool if you can practically apply it. I don't, I mean, I guess if, uh, you know, suppressing fire is your, if that's your job for whatever reason, and you, it, it seems kind of redundant to me, dude. Like, and most of the people that I run, that I've come across anyways, which isn't a ton, 
if you can't outshoot mil spec or like you're saying a stock trigger on a reputable handgun, uh, don't mess with it. You know, Smith and Wesson, um, Glock, Sig. People ask me, those are the three brands that I, I, yeah, I, I would stick to this because I've had experience with those. Um, people ask me, oh yeah, I want to swap in a trigger on my AR. I wouldn't. Oh no, why not? How much is the trigger? It's usually at least a hundred bucks all the way up to three or more, depending on, you know, whatever it is. Like, okay, well you could upgrade to a better optic you or save that or buy ammo or use that money to buy to take training. Like, why do you need this better trigger? Are you, are you out shooting? Like, well, what does that, what does that mean? I mean, that answer means that you're not. So don't spend it on that. You don't, you don't need to have that. You know, you're not there yet. Is it going to be a nicer trigger? Yeah, it is. But do you really need it? No, prioritize better differently, you know, whatever. Yeah. For me, I always suggest, well, I mean, I do this as well, but I suggest people, you know, especially on the pistols, your carry gun, you don't necessarily want a super light trigger on that thing. If you have to use this thing, you know, like going to the wall, the trigger, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm huge on that. I'm just like, I probably say wall the trigger during a pistol course, like 500 times, but you're going to get out and get on that wall. And if in real life you're doing this, you're going to be so amped up. And if you've got a super light trigger, you're probably going to negligently, negligently discharge that thing. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, and that's like we said earlier, right? Accountability each and every time. That's not good. You know, I mean, I guess that's one of the redeeming qualities of carrying a revolver. Cause those things are, you know, heavy, heavy <laughs> yep. triggers, uh, which I don't, anyone listening, I, I don't recommend my own, just my personal preference is not a revolver. If that's what you like, you know, cool. I had a friend reach out, she's getting married. She wanted to buy her and her fiance, I think, or something, uh, uh, guns. And she's like, yeah, he really wants a revolver. I was like, have you heard anything about Taurus? I was like, <laughs> I would recommend you check out Smith and Wesson. If you guys want to get like matching brand or if that's what's important, I don't know. They make a decent revolver and you can get a decent nine mil. Like, and yeah, you, you it won't, you won't have quality control issues. I think I, so of course, Taurus semi-autos are like, you know, not that great. Literally one guy at this class we did in Colorado. I don't know what happened, but the slide just got stuck and it was just screwed up. He had to send it back to the factory and he, he only had shot a few hundred rounds out of it. Um, oh, but I feel like I don't know for sure. Cause I'm not super knowledgeable about revolvers, but I think like Taurus might make some decent revolvers. I've heard that the revolvers are okay. Yeah. 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 I've heard yeah, that they're okay, but I've also heard, you know, Ruger makes okay revolvers too, or Colt, you know, and but actually that's a lie. I've heard the new line of, uh, the, the Colt Python actually now that CZ bought the, whoever bought them actually sucks is, is not, wow. is not the same, but yeah, I have heard that Taurus makes uh, a decent revolver. So if someone was looking like I, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but yeah, the semi-autos, you know, I have a friend that's like, yeah, do I carry the G2? I love it, but you own a Glock 19. Why would you even <laughs> buy that? Well, the other one's too big to carry. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's really not. I mean, yeah, I carry a, you know, I'm all about keeping everything standardized in the mill Glock 17 carry Glock 17 belt setup Glock 17 security realm stuff Glock 17 
Yeah. And I do have a 19. That's mostly for my fiance, but oh, well. a 19 is pretty much a 17. Let's be real. Just a little tiny. It's, <laughs> yeah. A li- I mean, slightly shorter profile, slightly yeah. shorter barrel, negligible dis- uh, di- difference mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, I think it just comes down to personal preference for a lot of it. Yeah. You know, so, so when you guys are teaching and you mentioned kind of way back at the beginning, you cover, you know, children, LE, you've done some, some CQB classes. Mm-hmm. What kind of curriculum are you guys looking at? I guess for, I guess right now, right. And even looking into the future. And I only ask because I think CQB is something that a lot of people could find value in. And I think that a lot of companies are kind of gatekeeping that information for lack of a better. You're so, you're so correct. <laughs> um, and I, and I, I understand, you know, from a legal side of it, there's a liability piece there. It's not just a, well, I don't want to teach it to you because you don't need to know it. I, I am not, I, I am sensitive to the potential ramifications of something like that, but you're starting to see more people teach it. I think it's really important stuff. Yes. Is that something that you guys are going to do more of? Is that oh, something that you, you, you see a lot of value in for? For civilians and all that kind of stuff or yeah. Yeah. Non-law enforcement basically. Yeah, dude, for sure. I, I totally agree with you. There are lots of people, guys that I know personally that do that exact thing. They don't teach all the way or get whatever you want to say it because <laughs> of these reasons and all that. And I totally disagree with it. Uh, most of our stuff, we do one and two man stuff you know, or meaning like solo and like a two-man team. Yeah, yeah. It's mostly focused around, you know, home protector. Um, I'm in a public, you know, a place and I need to, maybe I do need to eliminate the threat because that's right in front of me. If not, I'm trying to work my way out in a safe way so I don't get shot in the back, stuff like that. So that's like mostly our one-man, our two-man stuff is those exact same scenarios coupled with, now you're with a loved one, a friend, a partner, you know, that's why a couple of cops are coming to do the next one because, you know, they're going to work together either way. Um, I think it's extremely important just to have the basics down. What we do, we try to focus on the fundamental ideas of what we want you to know. We don't teach you. I guess I'll back that up a little bit. A lot of my CQB experience until recently, the last year or so has been. You go to this certain setup and you need to learn this setup. We need you to know this, whether it be for an actual operation or just in training, we need Mm -hmm. you to know this house where nowadays I'm getting more a lot into like what I'm learning and what I'm teaching people, just the concept. Okay. This is how you would take on this sort of a problem and it could work indoors or outdoors because you could use the same CQB principles outdoors. It's just a giant room now. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, context is huge for that stuff. I think. Exactly. So we teach the ideas and the fundamental ideas of how you're going to do it versus certain different scenarios. Like, okay, this is your office. Exactly. How you do this. We do do, we have done stuff in people's houses where we go to their house and teach them, okay, you might want to take this route on this corner or whatever, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think it's super important and we just teach the ideas and then so that people can apply it to whatever scenario they're in. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, even like you said, for law enforcement, um, current events notwithstanding, I think that that's something that more, more police officers need oh, um, is, and that's, I don't want to rip on any departments or levels of training or anything, but it's, it seems fairly consistent 
um, to with anybody I talk to that the level of training is just not there. And that's not, I certainly don't blame the officer. You know, mm-hmm. there's only so much money to go around. We've got all these people on the TV, right. Screaming about, we need to fund the police. We need, Oh, but you need, you know, less lethal options or non-lethal training or why didn't you shoot him in the leg? And it's like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, that's asinine. And the reason that they don't, they didn't do this better is because they don't have access to the training. You know, I have a buddy that's a police officer that straight up told me, he's like, I love Brazilian jujitsu, but I get about 40 hours a year that I can go enroll. And that's, that's what I can make happen because between work and he's also saving up for a wedding and, you know, uh, and he actually has to, uh, outfit his own duty rifle. Like he's buying it. I, I think he way explained it. It's like a little bit of money out of every check until it's paid off type deal. And then, you know, like when he's done, he can take it with him. Something very similar to that. But yeah. Oh yeah. You can go ahead and, and swap out to a light that doesn't suck or a hand, you know, I mean, but, but you're responsible for all of those costs as long as it's an approved optic or an approved light. And like, Dang. so it's just more and more money out of the pocket for the officer to go to any kind of training course, let alone even get the time off for it. Cause they're so, so short staffed and things like, I just, I think that quality training uh, specifically when you're talking about close quarters concepts uh, or, or close quarters fundamentals really um, is, is paramount because we see so much more, you know, home invasions and, um, and I just love that. And people are like, I'll let them steal my shit. I don't care. I don't have anything that's worth that much money. I was like, Oh really? You, you don't? Well, okay. Well, what if they, what if they, what if they kill you? Like, you know, well, I'll call the cops, you know, well, do you know what average response times are right now? And everyone is shocked when they hear the numbers eight to 15 minutes nationwide, somewhere in there. Like, do you have any idea what could happen in that window of time? Then people start to think about it. It's like, well, maybe this isn't again, like you, like you said, it doesn't have to be, you're not going out of your way to, to as a citizen, right. To neutralize the threat or whatever. And a lot of times it's just being able to get from point A to point B safely with your family or your son, like just get, being able to get out of there mm-hmm. is in itself a skill. Oh yeah. And again, we see so much of this now in current events, you know, we had another uh, incident over the holiday weekend, the parade in Highland Park, Illinois. Um, this, this information is, it's for everyone, I, I believe. And I am oh, actively I working on getting into one of these classes, um, from somebody yeah, CQB. I have to, I have to, it's on my short list. Oh yeah. We'll take care of you. We'll take care of you for sure. <laughs> so yeah, like all the LE guys that have come to my class, the CQB, they're like, after every time they're like, that was incredible. Cause they just don't, they, they teach a certain way, but it's like, you know, it's, there's so much red tape. The state says, this is what you teach. This is how many hours you get. They don't get that many hours this or that same thing with range time they don't have enough of it so it's it's too bad it's too bad but that's also why like you said what we've talked about too before just like this thing in illinois like people need to be ready to respond to anything because we need to protect ourselves and our community because like you said eight, eight to 15 minute response time my thing, when I saw that thing in Illinois, you know, it was not too far from you, not too far from where I grew up, probably a few hours. 
I was thinking, why did nobody smoke this dude? You know, like if you do that, I I heard about it when I was driving in a Provo on Main Street or whatever. And there was like a parade. They were getting ready for the parade. As I heard about this, I'm like, dude, you do that here. Somebody's going to smoke you immediately. They better. You know what I mean? And and that's, yeah. And and that's the problem is that unfortunately in places like Illinois, right? It's just, it's Mm -hmm. too difficult or too risky for in a lot of scenarios for people to carry lawfully or otherwise, whatever. There's just less good guys to shoot back. Exactly. And that just means more targets for the people that don't give a shit. Actually, last I heard um, with that individual, he was actually still at large and that's even more frightening now (laughs) because, you know, more questions, uh, more, more concerns and things like that. But you know, that's, that's why uh, I, I seriously believe that companies like what you, what you, you guys are doing and, and there's, you know, lots of good ones out there, but what you guys are doing and offering and teaching is so vitally important because you have to be personally accountable. Mm -hmm. You, You have to, unfortunately, it's just the world we live in today is not as safe as it was. It's just, and it's sad and people get pissed and they throw, you know, fits on the internet about it and everything. And they point fingers, but bottom line, end of the day is not as safe as it used to be. And you can respond accordingly, right? Either you can let it all happen and be a victim, or you can take the steps. You can invest in yourself, uh, you know, physical health, your training, uh, your knowledge, right. To, to better your position. Right. Yep. For sure. For sure, man. You nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. So dude, I can't stress it enough, man. We teach everything the same, whether you're a law enforcement officer or a military guy or civilian. I like, oh, yeah. like you are talking about, do not believe that I need to tailor or I need to water down, I guess you could say a CQB course because it's civilians. Of course, we vet people before they come to anything about us. And we've turned like one person down because they were kind of weird. And they really, the main reason was because they were They had done something with us just for um, a pistol class and Mm -hmm. they weren't very effective, like in their safety, you know, that's yeah. Okay. That's a good reason to deny somebody CQB, even with my limited knowledge, I I understand the risk factor goes way up when you're, when you're, Mm -hmm. when you're talking about that. So I, and honestly, I've only been in one, uh, one situation in a class where we actually had somebody who was a little bit of a, a safety factor. Um, so I mean, I get it. And I know as a student in that class, like I would be pissed, especially, like I said, especially in a, in a CQB type course, if somebody like that was allowed to walk through the door, if you know, there's prior knowledge and every, I mean, God forbid somebody, you know, would get hurt, but just, you know, it kind of throws you off. Like when you get flagged or you see the instructor losing his mind, cause she's okay. Or they, right. Or doing something they're not supposed to, um, mm-hmm. even if it's something that's only for their safety, you know, like, Hey, you don't walk ahead of the line because y- you could get shot, you know, or, Hey, they're all walking forward. You have to stay with them. You can't be behind them shooting because they could get shot, you know? So, mm-hmm. I mean, basic stuff like that. So I, I get it. Um, but I think it's awesome that you look at it that way. And I, I sincerely hope that attitude is further adopted and, you know, I, 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 I see both sides of it. I do, unfortunately. Um, 
I just don't agree with both sides of it necessarily. Uh, yeah. I just get it. Everyone's, you know, liability is huge and it is what it is. And uh, it's just one more, one more battle, right. In this, uh, I guess you, you can call it a war or whatever uh, to, to advance the community uh, and, you know, change people's perceptions and mindset. Exactly. I just think it's, you just got to think about it at this thing. Like you said, in where was it in Illinois again? Uh, Highland Park, I believe. Highland Park. Yeah. Highland. Is that near Chicago? Right. I have no idea. Uh, whatever. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, either way, you know, you know, people like, I know a guy who is teaching people that he kind of waters it down and I'm not about it, but you know, whatever, that's how he wants to do things. And how I see it is, where are the cops in Highland Park? You know, I know there was yeah. a crap load of civilians there. And of course, I'm not, that's not like a dig at cops. Like you can't be everywhere. And they no, only, but, want, they only want to fund so many and all it's this It's a stuff. parade. Uh, you usually have cops in a parade yeah. and around a parade route specifically yeah. for those reasons. I mean, any large public gathering like yeah. a parade or a sporting event. I mean, we got cops all over the place. Yeah. Uh, Detroit Lions games, you know, like there's cops everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't really done a whole lot of digging into it, mostly because it's a it's very upsetting. But B, you don't actually start to get a lot of the facts until way later, kind of like you yes. mentioned all day earlier. And a lot more comes out about that, mm-hmm. you know, a, a month or whatever after afterwards, we're seeing a ton of eye opening details. So I full disclosure, I, I usually just wait and try to avoid social media because I don't need anybody else telling me why I don't need a gun. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> But um, like what I was kind of getting at was, why would I teach a civilian anything lesser than I'm going to teach a law enforcement officer if there's way more law-abiding civilians in close contact yeah. that can do something than yeah. this officer? And like, then it's like I said, not that the officers are doing anything wrong, but you know, you only got so many freaking law enforcement guys at the parade. You yeah. got thousands of civilians that probably in Illinois they probably want to carry but the state doesn't let them. And there's plenty of people that don't want them to get the training that they need to, to be able to execute that uh, mission or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and, and the level of account of, of accountability is, is no different civilian to law exactly. enforcement. If anything, it's 100%. probably higher as a civilian because you don't have, I forget what they call it. Um, it's not immunity. Is it? I don't know. Um, there's certain yeah, protections. Some, yeah, there's certain protections that law law enforcement has when discharging a firearm and, and shooting somebody that a civilian doesn't necessarily qualified immunity. That's what it is. Yep. Civilians don't have that. So um, if anything, you would you would want you would think, right, <clears throat> if you're asking civilian armed civilians to be as uh, judicious with their marksmanship and as uh, accountable and as effective as law enforcement you would think that it would make sense to grant the same level of access to information. Or at least that's how I look at it. Oh yeah. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, man. But yeah. So Dewey, I got to get you spun up on some CQB. You know, I'm going to be in Illinois in August. Ooh, well, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to, (laughs) we'll have to talk about that then. Um, We're actually coming up to it here. Hey, would you believe it's been an hour and a half already? Dang. Yeah. We've just been going. Yeah. It's been awesome, man. Uh, so I appreciate the hell out of you coming on. I know you had a really, you had a lot of stuff going on today. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I appreciate that you, you know, you're still make it all kind of 
uh, come together and everything. Uh, before we kind of wrap here, can you let the listeners know where they can find you online, on social media, uh, all that good stuff? Oh, yes, sir. Thank you. So um, Tactical Cowboy Training Solutions, name of the company located here in Spanish Fork, Utah. We do stuff all over. We do stuff all the way up north by Salt Lake. We've done stuff in Colorado Springs out east. Got a women's only class in August 5th, Colorado Springs. So we're doing stuff in Colorado. Got a pistol class down in St. George, July 31st. So we're all around this area. Um, website, www.thetacticalcowboy.com. Pretty simple, easy to remember. Um, <laughs> social media would be, what do we got? Facebook, Tactical Cowboy Training Solutions. Instagram, Tactical Cowboy 01. YouTube, Tactical Cowboy Training Solutions. And I think that's about it for the social media. I don't have a Twitter. Never even been on that thing. <laughs> You're not missing much. Yeah, it's just most people bitching. You're not missing anything. I have one that I created in high school. I think I've posted three times. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, miss anything. But uh, and then the last thing, you know, just kind of little backstory. Tactical Cowboy Training Solutions. Where did the name come from? I always like to hit on this because it kind of goes back to that accountability standpoint. My yeah. grandfather was a huge influence in my life growing up. Big time Western guy, got me into all things Western country music, John Wayne, all that kind of stuff. Grew up in small town, Illinois. Um, his one of one of his lessons that he taught me, among many, was measure twice, cut once. You know, I'm sure you've heard of it. Oh, I, yeah, I learned that the hard oh, way yeah. growing up. <laughs> so yeah, measure twice, cut once. That we stress that in every single thing we do, CQB, marksmanship, whatever it is. Because we want people to measure twice, meaning, okay, do I need to employ this weapon? Second measuring is actually prepping that trigger, so I'm going to execute the shot. And the cutting once is getting the job done on the first time, so I'm not sending, you know, erroneous projectiles into the world that could harm somebody else, you know. So Tactical Cowboy Training Solutions, the name came from my grandfather's influence on my life, meaning measuring twice, cutting once, being accountable for everything I do including every projectile that's sent out into the world, you know? That's awesome, man. That's well, yeah. That's like that extra level of, I don't know. I don't know what the word for it is, but it's, it's cool. I dig <laughs> that. I do. You know, I, we all got those people in our life that kind of shape us a little bit and have that extra level. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not as, I mean, it's probably not as cool as, I, I don't know. Uh, you have like thunder or ranger or uh, power, or you have one of those, like, you know, other words in your title. I'm totally just giving you shit. I think it's, I think it's a cool name. <laughs> That's funny. And, and I hate some of these companies that people come out with their names. It's like, I, I don't know. I even, I don't even know how people put it together and like standalone Ranger LLC. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we wanted, we went with a uh, tactical cowboy idea. My fiance is actually the one who thought of it because we're think, trying to think of something that would be fun, have meaning because we want it to be fun. So you know, I don't want it to be so high speed that the regular person doesn't think they can exactly or yeah. be able to show up. And I want it to be fun. So people are going to have a good time. That's one of our main things in every course we do. We focus on accountability, all this kind of stuff. We want you to be able to execute at a really high level. While at the same time, we want people to have fun because all the neuroscience literature that I've read shows that especially as a beginner, if you're having fun, you're going to learn way more than if you're stressed out, if, and if we're being hard on you, you know? Absolutely. Makes total sense to me, honestly. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, man, thank you for making the time and, and coming on. Uh, I wish you all the best with uh, 
with the new home there. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we'll, we're going to, we're going to stay in touch for sure. And uh, hopefully I can make it over to that class in Illinois. Oh so. yeah. So I'm not planning a class in Illinois, but what I am planning on doing is reaching out to all the local police departments and anybody in my area, since especially the Highland Park thing just went down. I'm just going to say, Hey, I'm going to be training every single day out there because tactical games will be like, I'm going to be in Illinois for two weeks. Then I'm heading out to West Virginia for tactical games. So I'm probably going to be shooting almost every single day. I'm going to be like, Hey, PSA, anybody wants to come train, let's do this because we are our own protectors. You know, we can't depend Absolutely. on anybody else. Right on brother. Yep. All right, man. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of, uh, enjoy the rest of your evening there. And like I said, uh, we're definitely going to be in touch. Yeah, man. I'd like to, if you want to, it'd be cool if we could do like a, we could do a whole podcast, talk about CQB or talk about small unit tactics or Glock 17 yeah, pistol performance. <laughs> we will do it, man. We'll do yeah, it. Bro. All righty, sir. Thanks so much. Yes. Have a good one. You too. There you guys go. My conversation with Devin Soto from Tactical Cowboy. And I mean, what all, I mean, what can I say? Great conversation. He's a great, great dude. Uh, we actually went into the conversation um, having planned to talk about some other stuff uh, that we wanted to specifically hit on. And, you know, it's just one of those things when you have a good conversation with people, uh, it gets away from you, you know, and uh, that just means that we're going to have Devin back on. Uh, and I'm, I am excited to have Devin back on. Uh, he's, he's done a lot. He is doing a lot. And I think he's doing really good work training, offering education. We've had we've been really fortunate to have a lot of, a lot of people on this podcast that are doing good work like that. And I, and I love that. I, I hope that, that this is helpful to some of you guys uh, across the country. that are looking for quality training that these kinds of discussions and hearing what, what these, what these exceptional individuals have to say, uh, their thoughts about preparedness and civilian access to that kind of information uh, and, and, and all kinds of stuff, right? We talk about all kinds of stuff. I hope that helps you all make a, a more informed decision on who you want to train with and, and when you're going to train and how you're going to do it and everything. Uh, but I truly, I can't say enough nice things about Devin. Uh, it was an excellent conversation and I do plan on having him back on the podcast. We did speak about that. So he will be back, uh, you know, at least a couple of weeks here because we got, you know, some other stuff in the works and he's definitely got some things going on on his end. Um, but I look forward to it and you guys, I think are going to really dig it too. Uh, but that's all I got this week. You know, it was a great, like I said, great conversation. Hopefully that uh, helps uh, illuminate a little bit of what Devin is doing. If you guys aren't following Tactical Cowboy 01 on Instagram, uh, he's also on you know YouTube and fa- and you know Facebook and all that stuff. Give him a follow. Make sure you don't miss anything. Uh, dudes like that, you know, they're they're always working on on the next better thing they can do, how they can improve, how they can. Uh, achieve their objective, right? And that's that's why I like having these these people on so much. I'm, and I'm so fortunate to be able to connect and network with these people, and then you know call them my friends. So, uh, like I said, that that's all I got. You guys are probably sick of hearing my voice, so I will wrap it there. You know, we got another guest lined up for next week. Uh, another one of these uh, outstanding dudes. I think you all are really gonna like to hear from. So stay tuned for more of that. That's all for me. Until next week. Y'all get out there, work hard, train smarter, and like we always say here, be prepared. <laughs>